Welcome to Fintech Chatting, presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in Fintech Executive Search. Follow us on your favorite podcast player or Fintech Chatter TV on YouTube. Hi and welcome to part one of a three-part podcast series recorded live from the British Consulate in Sydney. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. Back in 2018, I began supporting the work of the UK Department for Business and Trade in their efforts to establish a UK-Australia fintech bridge. Each year, a UK fintech mission heads down under as part of Intersect Week. It's a fantastic opportunity not only to showcase what Australia has to offer, but to learn from our UK cousins. So over this three-part series, I'm bringing interviews with the delegates, sharing their insights, experiences, and thoughts to the Australian fintech community. In this episode, I chat to Michael Ward, who was the Deputy Trade Commissioner when the fintech bridge was established in 2017. Michael now supports the UK DBT in an advisory capacity. I'm then joined by the founders of Radium, Ralph Bragg and Barry O'Donoghue, for what is a very insightful discussion on open banking and CDR. Ralph and Barry share their experiences implementing open banking in the UK and Brazil. It's eye-opening stuff. But before we chat to Michael, if you're new to the show and you've just discovered us, please consider following us on your favourite podcast player and leaving us a review. It really helps others like you find the show. And if you're coming back, thanks so much for your support. Michael, great to finally get you on FinTech Chatter. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, I I was the Consul General and Trade Commissioner, Senior Trade Commissioner for Australia and New Zealand until a couple of years ago. Um, uh, more recently, I've decided to stay on in Australia, which is great. Really enjoying it. Um, and the I, I very kindly the the team asked me to come back and fill some gaps and that's why i'm doing what i'm doing now sort of leading their work on strategic investment and supporting the financial professional services uh team here in dbt which obviously includes fintech which is probably the biggest chunk of what we do on financial professional services so one one of the reasons why i really want to get you on the show initially and i think the time you were you know kind of at the beginning of the the journey fintech Bridge, UK Oz FinTech Bridge back in 2017. Mm. So you've been here from the beginning. Um, how would you summarize that journey? Yeah, look, um, yeah, I'm very, very proud to have been one of the many parents of the uh, of uh of the FinTech Bridge, which of course, you know, brings together uh, not only government, but also uh big bodies, regulators, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's been a great platform. It's been a really flexible intelligent platform that allows uh, those that want to get things done, organised missions like the one we're on at the moment, um, bring people into market, get them through the practical details uh, and and have them have them doing business. Now, I wouldn't want to say there's a 100% success rate, but it's been a remarkably powerful tool to get people into the market both directions. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, we've sort of slightly lost track of the numbers, I think, uh, which is a good thing because there's probably more going across the bridge than we're we're really aware of, but it's certainly certainly over 100 now. Um, and that's really very satisfying. So I say it's been a really good, uh, a really good successful platform. Um, 
it's only part of the part of the toolkit, but it's been it's been great to as a means to get people together and bring together all the stakeholders. But of course, we now have the free trade agreement, which is yep. of course playing a little bit in the same space. And we can talk a little bit about that if you like as well. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a really good opportunity to yeah. talk about yeah. the free trade agreement. If there's one, not criticism, but I think if you kind of looked at it from an Australian perspective, we've been really good at embracing fintechs coming here we probably haven't been as good as exporting um our, our kind of you know technology and our talent to to the uk does this free trade agreement make things a bit simpler in that respect uh yeah well it should do um otherwise you know why bother but you know that's what free treatments are a free trade agreements are for but but you know you have to be realistic about what free trade agreements are they you know they are again they are platforms to make things better they don't solve everything yeah. with uh you know when the things inks dry everything gets solved uh is implementation yeah. uh periods but also importantly and this is quite important in the in the fintech financial uh, services space is that you know as with other other professional services sectors there's there's provision for regulatory dialogues going forward between between government basically mm. between our respective treasuries and others and and regulators that look at the issues that uh, that practitioners, businesses are, are facing, and then looking at how we can resolve those, um, you know, within the context of the FTA. Now, that whole process is is really, will only really kick off properly next year. I mean, there's preparation work going on at the moment. But the, the key point, uh, really, I want to get across to, you know, people listening in now is, look, it's an opportunity for businesses uh, where they see something that isn't working as well as they would like is to make sure that you know we and their peers and and uh, and and particularly you know peak bodies uh, uh, trade associations are aware of those issues and you know can get you know asking us to see whether we can find a way to get them addressed can't say we can solve everything but this is a great mechanism that sort of almost forces governments mm. to come together yeah. uh, to come and talk about these things instead of sort of, you know, having these things. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we'd love to yeah. talk about that and never getting around to it. You've actually got sort of firm requirements and timetables and all the rest of it. So it's a great means of solving problems because, you know, you, you ask, well, what are the great learnings? Well, the, the one of the great learnings is, uh, and, as, and as we discussed this morning, you know, the problems don't all suddenly go away. Yeah. There are also, there's the commercial practical issues of choosing the right person to run your outfit um, uh, in market, uh, to all the sort of technical issues yeah. around directors. All those things will, you know, have got to be resolved. It'll take time. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, innovation is innovation. And, uh, you know, one of the features of FinTech, you know far better than I do, Dexter, is that, you know, regulators have a pretty tough time keep keeping up yeah. with, the, with the market. And that's always going to be the way. So, you know, the FTAs, to be relevant in this space, has really got to keep up with that with that conversation. So um, we're, we're celebrating six years of the FinTech bridge this year. Right in the middle of that, the whole world stopped. <laughs> how How did the kind of keep the, the, the program and the interest and the momentum going through that period. Yeah, well, all I can say is thank God for Teams, thank God for Zoom, because, you know, we, we learned how to use it literally overnight like everybody else yeah. did. But, you know, uh, there were some advantages in doing it. We could actually, fun, you know, do a lot more in some respects um, in terms of you reaching uh, reaching clients that we probably hadn't mm. reached before. So there was a lot of activity going on. It, it did allow us to build awareness, I think, in a way we probably weren't be able to 
able to do, you know, in normal, normal times where you're actually spending a lot of time preparing mm. for face-to-face stuff. So uh, things didn't stop. Um, uh, so I think, we, you know, we're now probably in a period where we can benefit from that, some yeah. of that groundwork. But, you know, thank God it's uh, we're now back to face-to-face. Great. Um, and, and last question for you, Michael. We've seen, you know, the last 12, 18 months, um, economic, you know, kind of headwinds. Um, we're certainly kind of still going through that. Now, from my personal experience, you know, I've seen the interest in Australia drop off significantly over the last 12 months, but it seems to have had a bit of a resurgence recently. From your side, are you seeing that there's now kind of renewed interest and maybe there's a little bit more kind of intent from businesses to look at global expansion again and start to think outside of their own backyard? Yeah, look, very much so. Uh, I, you know, I think, look, uh, the world changed quite dramatically and getting back to normal is, is a, you know, it takes time. But of course, economic uh, issues being what they are, cost of living issues, costs generally being what they are. Um, you know, companies obviously have to really, really uh, hard at their cost structures. And uh, um, sadly, to, to my mind, you know, going global might be seen as a, a thing they can put off until tomorrow. I'm yeah. not sure they can. I think we we see a sense, we have a sense that uh, that more companies are saying, well, actually, no, we've got to get out there, spend that money on that airfare, which has been a bit pricey over the last uh, last you know few few months, year or so. I think that's going to improve. So I I I think you're right. Um, You know, this uh, this this mission to intersect is uh, is is proof positive that that is starting to happen. We want to see more. Companies, bigger uh, delegations coming out in the future, and I, I think you know the, the the wind is set fair for just that. Brilliant. Well, Michael, it's been fantastic to finally get you on the Thank show. You. Well, I'm joined by Ralph and Barry from Radium, gents. Welcome to Australia. Great to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Um, Barry, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about Radium and what you do. Sure. We are a UK-based, London-based company that delivers trusted data sharing ecosystems. So think open banking, open finance, open insurance, open pensions, open investments. Um, We do that pretty much globally for sector regulators or central banks, uh, but also for consortiums like Connect ID here in Australia. Yeah. And Ralph, um, what brings you to Australia? Uh, after living in the UK for 17 years, finally decided to come home and see what we can do to grow the Asia-Pacific business. How good is it to be back? Yeah, it's amazing, and it's really great to uh, introduce it, uh, my lovely country to Barry and to all of the other yeah. UK uh, delegates. I think everyone's uh, blown away by the weather, the friendliness, um, the opportunities, uh, as well as obviously the, the Opera House is always wonderful to look at. Yeah, it's not a bad view, is it? Not at all. It's awesome. Yep. Um, and Barry, how have you found Australia so far? It's just been amazing from the beginning. I've just been blown away by Sydney, totally smitten with it. I'm an Irish guy from Dublin, uh, live just south of Edinburgh, uh, running a business based out of the UK um, with a global presence since my first time down under. So mm. really looking forward to it. It's been taking it all in. So um, CDR, open banking, it's probably my biggest pet peeve about fintech here in Australia. Um it promised so much. It doesn't feel like it's delivered anywhere near what it could so far. What's your take on where Australia's at from an open banking perspective? And yeah, we can't edit this. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> That's a wonderful question. So um, both Barry and I were uh, principal architects and significantly involved in the delivery of the UK open banking program. So I was the trust framework uh, ecosystem architect um, responsible for the security standards, the consent authorization, directory, onboarding, registration, basically everything that's needed to make open banking actually function and work. And that is essentially what Radium now does for other uh, ecosystems you know, around the world. Um, Brazil, twice over, and now Connect ID, the Australian-launched platform run by Australian Payments Plus, which is based on a lot of the same principles, architecture, technology, standards that the rest of the world uses. Yeah. Open standards, not modified, freely implementable by everybody, globally adopted, um, and a lot of those points are unfortunately some of the things that uh, weren't uh, embraced by the uh, the Australian consumer data right right at the very beginning of um, the implementation. So there was a paper that was published um, jointly by the Australian Banking Association and Radium almost a year ago that called out where we think collectively the uh, Australian CDR needs to go from a standards point of view, mm. interoperability point of view, um, and just general implementation, so <laughs> a migration point of view. Uh, but it's always been a big um, sense of frustration for me as an Australian delivering that program in the UK to not see it as necessarily as successful uh, as it could be or should be uh, in Australia. In comparison, we were able to deliver for the Central Bank of Brazil, Open Banking Brazil, in less than 12 months, what took the UK five years. So they did it in 12 months uh, and they've got 800 financial institutions on it from billions of API calls flowing around each month and they're just not stopping with their programs. And what took six to 12 months for Brazil took six weeks for Open Insurance wow. Brazil. And same for Connect ID. Like this is no longer a question of how do you deliver these programs. It's really just a question of what do you want to put on these data sharing yeah. ecosystems. And uh, the promise, I agree with you, hasn't yet uh, resulted in Australia, but we shall, you know, we shall see. I mean, there's good moves being made, um, but ultimately we shall see. So, Barry, what, what do you think is, you know, the thing that Australia needs to do with urgency to get CDR back on track? It's a big question. I think taking a look at the paper that we co-produced with the Australian Banking Authority, um, looking at what's happening globally, because this is not a local initiative anymore. This is a wider context. Uh, These open international standards have been developed, applied globally. They're proven, they're mature, and they're operating at global scale. And it's important to consider not just the domestic agenda, but also the international agenda, mm. to be able to interoperate using these open international standards with other eco- economies from you know, Latin America, North America, the Middle East. Uh, this is a global endeavor, and parity of implementation is critical for interoperability. So I think not being too inward-looking and being a bit more eyes up and out to what's happening elsewhere. If you talk within the fintech community, it's kind of felt that maybe the big four banks have dragged their heels a bit in the implementation of CDR and it's kind of taken longer than it should have done. What what do you see from your side as to, you know, the the appetite to move quickly and actually recognize that this is not just an Australian opportunity and it's not just a threat from, you know, what is a fairly small fintech community here, but this is actually a global threat and a, and a global opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, uh, working with all of the Australian banks, particularly um, at the levels that uh, we operate, we certainly don't see uh, the banks 
trying to drag their feet or in any way trying to stymie um, the process. A couple of big themes that continuously come up is, you know, not being able to leverage the same assets that they already have. For example, customer authentication, um, being forced to introduce new things that are in a lot of cases less secure than their existing mechanisms that aren't going to be maintained or necessarily used by their mm. existing customers like weaker in a lot of cases, authentication mechanisms or more frictionful authentication mechanisms for the CDR compared to what their own customers actually enjoy with their own digital banking channels. So, for example, if you log on to um, your CBA uh, net bank using your CBA uh, uh, app, it's a lovely journey. Nice little face ID, unlock, and voila, you're in. If you're trying to engage with fintech services using CDR-delivered services, it's please enter an ID wait for some text messages that may or may not apply, post some text messages in, uh, and off you go. The banks don't want to be doing this. The banks mm. would much rather be leveraging and offering great digital you know, services for all of the partners in this, you know, these ecosystems. But the current rules and the current technical constraints and some of those you know, that are imposed on them by CDR actually limit them, them will limit the ability for them to introduce and use their existing assets to offer great digital experiences for, you know, their customers. And so that becomes a real challenge. You're essentially asking a bank to deliver great customer digital experiences because their customers demand great customer digital experiences for their first channel, first party channel applications. Meanwhile, they're also being mandated to deliver substandard, not necessarily the greatest user experience, potentially using a framework that's you know, five years out of date, not the latest current, you know, iteration of security standards for the government mandated CDR. So on one side, you've got your customers screaming for wonderful user experiences, which they're desperate to deliver. On the other side, you've got some pretty prescriptive regulations that say you've got to operate and deliver these services in such a way that actually customers don't actually necessarily want to use them. So I think they're in a, you know, a bit of a rock and a hard yeah. place. And a lot of this we talked about in the paper about copying what was done you know, well in the UK, uh, reusing existing assets, allowing the banks to, or in some cases in the UK, compelling banks to operate using the same authentication mechanisms and same channels that they've already got. And that's worked to, you know, to great effect. Mm. What was it about Brazil that got them to kind of, you know, be that embracing of it that you, know, you were able to get open insurance going within six months? Quite simply, they decided to start where the UK um, left off. So they had five years worth of knowledge. They had customer experience guidelines. They knew exactly what was required to achieve customer adoption. They were they compelled the banks to using their existing authentication capabilities. All the banks were told you're going to have to do app to app for seamless authentication journeys to reduce customer friction to deliver great, wonderful customer experiences that make people actually want to use this. None of this is particularly hard, and it's not rocket science either. The UK did provide, as one of its greatest gifts to the world, uh, a fantastic set of resources and experiences and learnings, which are freely public available assets, including customer research, customer experience guidelines, flows, sequences for all sorts of different use cases, some of which are the mandated in the UK and some of which are optional. Brazil very you know, shrewdly said, I want to start where the UK finished and I want to fix what the UK didn't get right. And for us as, you know, technical architects of both of those ecosystems and subsequent ecosystems, that really was a, a an amazing personal and professional opportunity because not only 
you know, not many people get a chance to do this once, but we've had the chance to do this three, mm. four you know, times, and each time it gets simpler, it gets more straightforward, it gets more logical, you've got yeah, more quicker, evidence, it gets quicker, cost, yeah. you, you yeah. name it. So I think that's the key takeaway is build on what's already been built and proven. Don't, like, start with a clean slate. Um, and what we see is that those regions that apply the lessons and, and learn from those challenges um, can really accelerate that drive to not just compliance, but then driving new value chains, yeah. not just competition, but also innovation. Yeah, And that's what we're seeing being applied, again, globally. Uh, Brazil has led the way in Latin America. We're seeing countries like Chile and Colombia in particular, Mexico, looking to follow suit very quickly, Argentina too. Um, in North America, with the Federal Data Exchange, in Open Banking in Canada, they're on the cuff. So open banking is coming to, to to North America, which is very exciting. And also the Middle East, the UAE, um, and also Saudi Arabia. So they're very exciting um, moves and they're looking to really push the envelope. But they're building on that global reference point, mm. which is the, the origin trust framework in the UK that we were uh, so proud to be part of. Well, we're going to come to a wrap up, guys, um, before we do. I've got four, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> a question. Yeah. How many stars are there on the flag of Australia? We've got a multiple choice. Mm-hmm. We've got six. B is 10. C is 50. D, so D is zero. I'm going with A. Correct. Yeah, I didn't didn't tip him off. I promise. You've, he held up. He held up. He held up ten fingers there. <laughs> <laughs> well, chaps, are coming up for a wrap. What kind of people do you want to can, and which kind of companies are you keen to connect with out on your trip? Uh, I think it's a mixture. So what we do is um, data agnostic and sector agnostic. So whilst our heritage and our pedigree is really around uh, financial services, we have a deep understanding of that. But banking is very much the beginning. Um, open banking regulations globally is where we've cut our teeth and we think there's a lot of application more broadly to cross-sectoral data plays uh, beyond banking, smart data, you know, beyond you know, energy, health. Um, we're working on a proposition in the UK around carbon reduction and net zero. So that's very exciting. Um, so we'd like to just really allow others to really learn about what's the the innovation that's been happening in the retail banking mm. space and to maybe take a leaf out of that and apply it into their, in their sector or segment. Brilliant. Where can people find out more about Radium? From our website, which we're rebranding currently, um, radium.com. Awesome. And what's the best way for people to reach out to both Ralph and Barry? I would also say LinkedIn. We're very active on the on that platform, and you can follow what Radium has been up to there too. Oh uh, yeah, you can get me at uh, Ralph Bragg and Barry O'Donoghue. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Fintech Chatter is produced by Tier One People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll find world class leadership talent to build world class fintech ventures, and you can find us at tieronepeople.com.